What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the late evening hours of Thursday, October 6th, 2022, the eve of the Wild Card Series. Game one from Bush Stadium coming up Friday against the Phillies, 1.07 p.m. Central Time. And so this podcast will go up. Hopefully you catch it Friday morning. If not, well, it's going to be a little bit outdated. But I wanted to get on here for a little while and break down the series ahead. In particular, game one, as we know the matchup for that, is going to be Jose Quintana facing Zach Wheeler. Game two, Miles Michaelis. Your game two pitcher, he will be taking on Aaron Nola. And then in game three, if necessary, I believe the Phillies have announced Ranger Suarez will be their starter Cardinals are going with the TBD, and it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck situation if it gets to that. So we'll talk about the series in general. We'll talk about what the Cardinals roster could look like. Got some news from Bush Stadium on Thursday. It's not completely, as of this recording, determined what the roster is going to be. It's not official, but we have a pretty good idea of what we'll be looking at. So we'll try to dissect that and talk about any potential roster spots that are up in the air but a lot of the bubble options have sort of been cleaned out by information that was given by Ali Marmel to reporters at Bush Stadium. So we'll read some of those tweets, catch up on all that, and kind of talk about what we think, what we expect with Game 1 coming up on Friday. But let's go ahead and before we jump in, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to Be Shape Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed, got notifications on, so you'll always be aware when a new Be Shape Daily episode drops as we'll be going hot and heavy throughout the remainder of the Cardinals postseason run whether it lasts two days or the better part of a month we're going to be here on B-Shape Daily so appreciate you guys for subscribing and uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts on Spotify click the five stars rate review the podcast that would be awesome as well and if you'd like to support it support B-Shape Daily you can go to patreon.com slash B-Shape for 12 and sign up to become a patron and there you'll get access to some additional articles some additional goodies, and uh, appreciate you for doing so. It's your way to show your support for B-Shape Daily. So if you're interested, that's how you do it. But let's get all that out of the way and jump right into the content of the show today as, well, there's nothing left to do but to do it at this point. If you're the Cardinals, put up or shut up time. There's been a lot of conversation this season about the expectations, World Series. That's a phrase that's been bandied about quite a bit. But now the Cardinals, they're here. They're in the playoffs and this weekend at Bush Stadium is going to be a big one. You got to get out of it alive. You got to win two games to do so. Can the Cardinals get it done against the Phillies, who end up as the number six seed in the National League standings? They finished six games above Philadelphia in the regular season, 93 wins for the Cardinals, their most since going all the way back to 2015 when the Cardinals won 100 games. This is their best record since that happened 86, 83, 88, 91. 30 in 2020, 90, and then this year, 93. Again, they're best since 2015. They've only exceeded that 90-win mark a couple of times in the last decade or so. I mean, you have to go all the way back to 2009. That was a 91-win season. Even the World Series year was only 90. 2013, they had 97. 2015 was 100. So, I mean, we're talking about the last dozen years or so of Cardinals baseball this regular season is up there but as we know it doesn't really mean a whole lot unless more memories are made in October so let's go ahead and start here with some of the roster decisions that the Cardinals have had to make first of all the pitching 
What do we think about Jose Quintana as the game one starter? Got a lot of questions. Some people said, well, couldn't it have been Jordan Montgomery, right? He was the starter that had really shined after the Cardinals acquired him at the trade deadline. You know, Quintana was pretty good, but was he better? Is he a, a better choice to start this game than Montgomery? Well, I mean, if you look at the recent numbers, the answer is pretty unequivocally yes. And, and even not the so recent numbers. You could go all the way back to when the Cardinals picked him up at the deadline and he made his first appearance for St. Louis on the 4th of August. Ever since then, Quintana has really been the Cardinals' best starting pitcher. He's got a 2.01 ERA since joining the Cardinals. He's got a 0.81 ERA since September 1st. Bottom line, he's been the Cardinals' best pitcher. And if you're in a situation, a best two out of three, two losses ends your season, you want to make sure that you are putting your best foot forward and your best options are taking the ball for your team. And right now, I don't think there's any question that that's Jose Quintana and Miles Michaelis. You look at Michaelis's numbers, he's been really the Cardinals' most consistent starter for the entire season. Uh, their best right-handed starter, I would say, even above Wayne Wright with the way he finished compared to the way Adam did. Uh, Michaelis had a 2.38 ERA from the beginning of September to the end of the season. That's a good little month plus for Michaelis in his performance to sort of gear up for the postseason. He's your game two starter. The Cardinals will go all hands on deck if they need to get through a game three. I truly don't know who would start that game. You might see Jordan Montgomery get maybe through the first time through the order and plus another at bat perhaps against like the the Harper Schwarber collective depending on where they are in the lineup and then maybe you go with Jack Flaherty or Adam Wainwright in relief like there's a number of ways they could approach that I think the goal for the Cardinals though should be to not even get to a game three but I will say this if they do have a game three on Sunday at Bush Stadium Sunday evening the exact game time would have to be determined based on what happens in the other series but it would be Sunday night my prediction would be that the Cardinals are advancing to the NLDS. I think the Cardinals have an advantage in this series if they can find a win in one of the first two games, which seems obvious enough. But what I mean by that is I don't think the Cardinals lose the series as long as they get at least one win within it. I look at the first game, it's going to be a tough one. Like Zach Wheeler, I have talked a lot about Zach Wheeler on B-Shafe Daily, the notion that he's kind of had the Cardinals number this season in two outings against them. 14 innings, no runs allowed. That's a concern. Um, the Phillies' bullpen is not as strong as the Cardinals. That's an area where the Cardinals do have an advantage over Philadelphia. Uh, if you look at their reliever numbers for the season, kind of toward the bottom of the barrel, I'll, I'll look up exactly the statistic there if I can get it, and we'll circle back to it. But it's a case where, yeah, if you can get into the bullpen early against some of these starting pitchers for Philly, I think you have the advantage if you're the Cardinals. But... It's hard to do against a guy that twice when he's faced you, he's gotten through seven innings, right? So it's not a guarantee that the Cardinals are going to be able to get Zach Wheeler from the game anytime in the early going. They probably are going to have a hard time doing that, if I had to guess, because he's a workhorse starter. The Cardinals pretty much knew that he was that kind of player, that kind of workhorse starter, when they, well, they tried to acquire him a couple of years back when he was with the Mets. Remember, the Mets said, no, we want Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill as the center piece of a trade offer, and then uh, we'll trade you Zach Wheeler on the expiring contract. Well, as it turned out, the Cardinals were unwilling to do either of those things. And how interesting is it then that a few years later, they do end up trading Harrison Bader for, well, pitching help. It's not a surprise, but that's kind of the uh, the winding path that we take. 
But it's interesting that you have the Cardinals interested at one time in Zach Wheeler to be sort of a workhorse starter for them. Now they face him in the postseason, and they're hoping that he's anything but a workhorse. you got to get him out of the game after five or six innings to get into that Philly bullpen, which does rank 23rd in Major League Baseball this season in bullpen ERA. 4.27 is the ERA for the Phillies relievers this season. Again, that's eighth from the bottom in Major League Baseball. Only a couple few National League teams, the D-backs, the Reds, Pirates, and Rockies, had worse bullpens throughout the season in the National League than Philadelphia. By far, the Phillies, the worst bullpen of the teams in the NL that made the playoffs. The Padres' ERA at 3.83 ranks 14th in all of baseball. That's next from the bottom among the postseason teams. The Cardinals, 3.61, just on the outside of the top 10 in MLB in reliever ERA. It's an advantage for the Cardinals. One note about that, Ryan Helsley, the jammed finger, everything seems to be checking out with what was said about his situation as of Thursday. It appears that he'll be good to go to close for the Cardinals, to pitch for the Cardinals in whatever capacity they could use him on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You figure, Helsley, if, if they're, they're close games that we're talking about here, he would pitch in at least two of the three and maybe all three, right? Like there, there does come a point where you've been saving him all year for what? Well, probably to make sure he's ready to go and available and hopefully feeling good when he gets the opportunity to pitch in these games. It's got to be your best and, and put your best foot forward. So yeah, I figure you'll see some Ryan Helsley this weekend. Um, that would be the hope anyway, right? If you don't, it, things have probably gone drastically wrong. Like I don't think Jose Quintana is pitching a complete game tomorrow. So that would probably be uh, a sign if you don't see Helsley that maybe things didn't go so well for the Cardinals. But they have that advantage if they can get into the bullpen of the Phillies. Doing so against Zach Wheeler, easier said than done. And doing so against Aaron Nola, by the way, in game two is not going to be easy either. The way that he has pitched recently, uh, he's been one of the best pitchers in the National League. Throughout the season, 3.25 ERA, a whip of 0.96. So that's pretty impressive. 235 strikeouts. Again, we've talked about the Cardinals not being a lineup that strikes out a ton on a per-game basis. They actually are one of the better teams in the NL at limiting their strikeouts per game. But Aaron Nola is not going to be a case where that is going to be too easy to do. His last four starts, 8, 8, 8, and 9 strikeouts in his most recent outing on October 3rd. So... That's going to be a little bit dicey as well. But the bottom line really is, offensively, can the Cardinals be that team that they were throughout the majority of the season? Really, they they kind of had a downturn in September. But even considering that, you can look at their numbers throughout the entire year. They ranked number five in MLB and OPS at 745. Here are the teams that were ahead of them in 2022 the Dodgers the Braves the Blue Jays and the Yankees there aren't many offenses in baseball that were more productive than the Cardinals throughout the scope of 162 games they ranked tied for fifth with the Mets in runs scored they had a good offense this year it wasn't always a consistent one but they had a powerful productive and at times uh, an offense that ran like a well-oiled machine when you get the guys at the top setting the table you get the guys in the middle you know, it's kind of hard not to have a good offense when you had arguably two of the top five hitters in the National League this year with Goldschmidt and Arenado. Remains to be seen whether Goldschmidt did enough down the stretch to maintain that lock on the MVP award. My opinion, the answer to that ought to have been yes, but we'll have to wait and see how the votes come out. Oh, I think that happens about after the World Series is completed, but 982 OPS for Goldie by far the best in the National League 
35 homers, 115 RBIs. A lot to be proud of in the season by Paul Goldschmidt, who did not quite get the batting title, but a 317 average as well to go along with those other numbers. So he was great. Nolan Arenado was great. He gets another season of 30 and 100. Nolan lands right on the 30 home run mark, 103 RBIs, 891 is the OPS. That ranks seventh in the, in the, uh, in the majors. But then if you dilute that down to just the National League, only Goldschmidt, Freeman, and Machado had a better OPS than Nolan Arenado. So two of the best five hitters in the National League, sure, you expect to have a pretty good lineup, but what's it going to be when the first pitch is thrown on Friday? What are the Cardinals' main hitters going to do this weekend? I think that is a huge determining factor in whether or not this team is able to advance. Because we talk about what the lineup looks like, I have discussed it my desire to see a more offensive-based lineup. Guy like Juan Yepes has the ability to drive the baseball, make exciting things happen, do damage offensively. I got to say, I don't think he's going to be in the starting lineup. I think he's going to be considered a bat off the bench for the Cardinals, especially against right-handed pitching. I don't know if they're willing to take the perceived decrease in defense by going to Yepes over another option. I say perceived, though, because I've talked about not really believing there to be a significant advantage between starting Corey Dickerson in left field versus starting Juan Yepes. That being said, I bet the lineup is going to be Corey Dickerson. That's probably going to be what we see on Friday against a righty, probably on Saturday as well against another righty in Aranola. Would they do something different? against the lefty and Ranger Suarez on Sunday. Yeah, they probably would. Again, Cardinals have the best OPS against left-handed pitching this season. They've done such a good job exploiting those matchups. Uh, the best in Major League Baseball, I should say, uh, with a team OPS over 800 against lefties. They're the only team in baseball that can claim that for the season. And the Phillies are like, yeah, we'll throw a lefty at you for game three. Okay, that sounds awesome. All the more reason that I've said I have, I have supreme confidence in the Cardinals advancing to the NLDS if they can win one of the first two games. If there's a game three, the Cardinals are going to win that game three. That's the way I view it. I just think the pitching advantage in the first two games, if you can call it an advantage, which again, Quintana, Michaelis, those are two very good options. I went over the numbers. Michaelis has been good throughout the entire year, but especially since September 1, even better for Quintana since September 1 with an ERA below 1. His numbers against... Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper for their careers. One for 12 are those guys against Jose Quintana in their careers during the regular season. One for 15 with six strikeouts if you include playoff appearances because once Jose Quintana did face Bryce Harper in the 2017 NLDS, he went 0 for 3 against him. So there's an opportunity to neutralize those key bats. You've got the NL home run leader in Schwarber. You've got one of the best hitters in the National League in Bryce Harper on a year-to-year basis you got a lefty that can face those guys and sort of hopefully take them out of their element where then you're worrying about the the, the JT Real Mutos and the Reese Hoskins. Those guys can certainly beat you. They're talented hitters. But I think the upside of those lefties in the lineup is is part of, part of the reason the Cardinals wanted to go with Quintana, hopefully in game one, to neutralize that threat. I think that there's still an advantage for Philadelphia from a pitching perspective just because of how well Zach Wheeler has thrown against the Cardinals this year. And in game two, Nola, Michaelis, you you know, you're kind of splitting hairs. Nola's more of the strikeout-oriented pitcher, and that always is more flashy and exciting. 
But I would be okay to say, all right, the Phillies have an advantage there for those first two games. In a game three, they just wouldn't. The Cardinals, I think, would be able to get to Ranger Suarez. And obviously for the Phillies, they're going to be all hands on deck as well in a game three situation. So they'd probably be willing to pull him from the game rather quickly if trouble started to brew. But they don't have a bullpen to go to that's as good as what the Cardinals would be able to turn to in that situation. So I really do feel good about St. Louis's chances. Again, you just got to find a way to get one of those first two games. If you get the first one, you really put the pressure on the other side. If you don't get the first one, I think that is where it is an advantage to have a Miles Michael is pitching in game two. Guy like him, he's a cool customer. I don't think he's going to be uh, undone by the nerves of the situation, knowing that you don't do well today. The season ends. I just, I don't think it phases Miles Michaelis. So I kind of like him being in that spot. I like Jose Quintana being in the spot as well, but I, I think you could have gone in either order. Those were obviously going to be the two guys that you had to go with. And even if it's not considered a pitching advantage in games one and two, I think it's pretty close to being, um, well, as close to being even as it possibly could be when you consider a Zach Wheeler that has just been untouchable for Cardinals hitters so far this season. But hey, you get him out of the game after six or seven innings, it could easily be a two to one, three to one Cardinals win. Jose Quintana goes five and a third, goes six, gives up one. Cardinals bullpen shuts it down. They find a way to score late. That could be a blueprint for Friday's game. Uh, they, they just got to come up with those key opportunities offensively any way that they can. And that's going to start with, uh, kind of go over a little bit of a lineup situation. We'll just go kind of uh, stream of consciousness here. We'll talk about some of the roster news that we got, I swear. But let's go ahead and get lineup stuff done first. Because yesterday I told you what my lineup would be, or a couple of days ago, last time we talked baseball on B-Shave Daily. I know we did football last night. I told you what my lineup would be. Now I'm going to really try to guess what Ollie Marmel's lineup is going to be within reason here. And I don't think there's going to be too many surprises necessarily. Brennan Donovan's going to be leading off. Lars Newtbar against a righty is going to be in the two hole would be my expectation. Goldschmidt batting third, Arenado batting fourth. I think it's going to be Corey Dickerson batting fifth. I don't think against a righty they're They're still looking to have that lefty split things up. I had said Dylan Carlson would be my answer there. If I had to guess, I would say it will be Dickerson. Um, I hope I'm wrong about that. I, I don't think that Dickerson should be in that prominent spot in the lineup considering what we've seen from him in September. The Cardinals and Ollie Marmel have talked a lot about performance being the key evaluator for what, what they do and what drives their decisions. As we get into some of the roster conversation, it's a reason that they have made it clear that Packy Naughton is on the roster for this series, whereas some other guys that maybe didn't have as much of a consistent uh, performance, like Hennessy's Cabrera, who was in line to potentially return to the major league roster, was on the taxi squad during the week in Pittsburgh. You know, those were options, and the Cardinals decided they're going to go with Packy Naughton because of the performance specifically against left-handed batters, and you've got a couple of key lefties in that lineup that you're going to have to contend with, as we know. But that's sort of the genesis for this thought about Dickerson, which is like, well, you look over the course of, uh, well, since September 15th, his last 54 plate appearances, it hasn't been very productive. Seven hits over those 54 plate appearances. It's a batting average of 137, an OPS of 401 for Dickerson. Now, he did have a game during the week in Pittsburgh where coming in late in a game, he was able to get a couple of hits in a couple of at-bats. He didn't start that game. Maybe that's what can get Corey Dickerson going. I don't know how much faith I have in him being able to uh, take those kinds of at-bats against Zach Wheeler. But again, you 
you're kind of limited in the options that you have when Tyler O'Neill is not able to make it back. That's something that really does hurt because if O'Neill were healthy enough with the hamstring, he would just be the number five batter, and I think everything else would fall into place pretty nicely, and the Cardinals lineup would feel a little bit longer than it does going into the series. But I'm thinking it's going to be Dickerson, which means Yepes off the bench. I said I don't really mind Yepes in left field. I, I don't consider Dickerson to be a plus outfielder. He's got a poor throwing arm. Uh, he doesn't take good routes to balls. And so I, I just feel as though you're not really sacrificing anything by going Yepes in that spot. Uh, a different direction that you could go that it didn't even occur to me that they might do this. And I don't doubt that it's possible they would. It seems more likely for a Sunday lineup against the lefty Suarez that they would do this. But I could see Paul DeYoung getting the start on the infield, shortstop presumably with Tommy Edmond at second and moving Brendan Donovan to left field. Uh, I don't love Donovan in the outfield necessarily either, but he's athletic enough to be able to get it done. I don't think he's a downgrade over either uh, Yepes or Dickerson. He's probably an upgrade over um, Yepes in terms of just the uh, ability to make the short play. But I haven't seen Yepes fumble too many. I know he's had some plays that you look at and you kind of close close your eyes, but he doesn't have to be a great fielder out there, uh, in my opinion, to provide more value as a player on the whole when he can bring offensively things that Corey Dickerson can't. But he's a right-handed batter. The Cardinals are going to play the matchups. I'm sure it'll be a lefty. I I figure it'll be Dickerson. Uh, Alec Burleson, not on the wild card roster. Nolan Gorman is on the wild card roster, despite the fact that we haven't seen him for several weeks. I think that's a curious one. I like the decision for Gorman to be on there. In a vacuum, Like I'm cool with that. I wish the Cardinals had handled it differently over the past three or four weeks, though. I remember mid-September, I was asking, that was you know a couple of weeks after the, the birth of my child, and so I was a little bit in and out of, of the news with Cardinals baseball. So at one point, I tweeted, and I, I asked, like, is Nolan Gorman healthy? Is he around? Did he get optioned out and I missed it? It's possible that I haven't, you know, I just missed it. But at the time, no, he hadn't been optioned. It was just that Albert was chasing 700. They were playing him pretty much every day, and Gorman wasn't even getting so much as a pinch hit opportunity. I think there was like six or seven days in a row where he didn't even sniff the field, didn't take an at-bat nothing. He was on the roster the whole time. And then they finally did option him after giving him an opportunity in one of those doubleheader games. It's just the, the usage has been just bizarre to me. If he was going to be part of your September plan, okay, I, I guess you could make the argument that, or I should say October plan, you can make the argument that when they sent him down in mid-September, they wanted to get him some at-bats before the end of the minor league season, get him some consistent looks so that he would be a little bit more prepared for uh, the, the potential pinch hit role in the playoffs. But I feel like they could have brought him back, right? Like, I know that you got to stay down in the minors a minimum number of days once you're optioned before you can return. But having him in the lineup every day in the Pittsburgh series, to me, that would have probably been valuable for a guy that you're going to have on the roster. But I don't have a problem with the decision to have him on the roster because I do think he's probably better than some of the other options that you could have gone with. Like Burleson has uh, a future, I think, but it wasn't as though he was locked in and and showing a whole lot this year in terms of the results and the productivity. Gorman had 14 home runs. Like I'm totally cool with having him on the roster. Um, I just wish they maybe would have led into it a little bit more sensibly. It just seems like kind of a, not a panic move, but it's like if you felt this way about this player before, wouldn't it have made sense to give him the at-bats leading up to this opportunity uh, so that it was kind of in conjunction with one another? That's not the way that they went, and we'll see if Gorman, whether he gets opportunities or not, uh, and if he does, how he performs in them. That's all to be determined. But interesting that they're going that route with, with Gorman on the wild card roster as part of that bench. I just think 
based on the fact that we know Burleson's not on there, first of all, Dickerson's going to be on the roster. That was never in doubt, never a question. But I had said that, you know, I don't know that the value is too supreme. Well, not only is he going to be there, it seems like he's probably going to be in the lineup. So he'll be batting fifth, I would have to imagine. Then you'll have Albert in the six hole. Yes, he's your DH in the playoffs. He's I don't think there's any doubt about that. Batting seventh, probably Dylan Carlson. You'll have your catcher batting eighth. And batting ninth, Tommy Edmond. I think that's probably going to be your lineup against the righty. Um, you know, Newpar's numbers against right-handed pitching were pretty good this year. I feel like it makes sense to have him in a pretty prominent role. I liked the way things looked there for a while when you got Brendan Donovan at the top and Newt Bar batting second, uh, especially against right-handed pitching. For me, it doesn't really matter what the handedness is from the Newt Bar perspective just because we've seen him so consistently get on base this year. Uh, I'm looking to pull the numbers up right now so that I can get an exact final count on what he finished the season with as far as an on-base percentage, uh, but it was definitely pretty good. Newt Bar was leading off that last game. 788 OPS for Lars Newpark to end his season. That is some very impressive stuff. Only 773 for Brendan Donovan in terms of OPS, but on base percentage specifically, he was very impressive finishing the season with an uh, pardon me, an on base percentage of 394. So not a huge slugging guy. He OBP'd more than he slugged in Brendan Donovan's case, but that's fine if that's your leadoff guy. And then you can go with Lars Newpar who Yes, lower batting average by the end of it, just 228 for Newt, even though there for a while he was really crushing. And you look for him over the last 30 games, just a 188 average. But over the last 15, it's come up a little bit to 255 over that span. The slugging ability is never something, though, that evaded him. He's got a couple of home runs over his last 15 games. And for the season, the 788 OPS, one of the better numbers, one of the better marks by the Cardinals, still a 340 on base as well. So I like the look of those guys. I've been saying it for several weeks now. If you've got Donovan, you've got Newt Bar up at the top. Get those guys on base. Maybe Newt Bar runs into an extra base hit every once in a while. Um, but if he doesn't, he's at least getting his way on. For Goldschmidt and Arenado, those guys are going to have to be at their best. This is the situation that they wanted. Arenado wanted to win the division, and then he has said he wanted to get to the playoffs so that he could perform better there once he got back because his playoff experience that he's got in the past, he it, it weighs on him in that he didn't perform well and he knows it. And so he wants to be able to do better this time. Uh, here's his opportunity. He's going to get to do it at home in front of a, a, an adoring crowd. The Cardinals fans are going to be out there in full force. This is the opportunity to make it happen for both him and Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, regardless of what may have happened in September, doesn't really matter anymore. All you've got now in front of you are these three games, potentially, uh, but at a minimum two, to show your stuff and, and see what you're able to do offensively. I think you can trust that Albert Pujols toward the bottom is going to show up in this postseason. Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond has been really good as of late as well. I think that's maybe a, a guy that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle. He finished the season uh, with a three-for-four game in the final game of the year. Did Tommy Edmond 724, the OPS for him to end the season. And you look over his last 30 games, had a 321 average, 368 on base, and a 523 slug. Uh, again, Kind of ebbs and flows toward the very tail end of the season was a little better. He had a, a couple issues in maybe that that week to two week range right before the end of the year. Um, but like I said, in Pittsburgh, found his stroke on the final day of the season with a three for four. So you feel good about him coming into the playoffs as well. I think the Cardinals have a dynamic lineup that can make some things happen. It's just going to be can they make it happen against 
the specific pitching matchups that they have because this isn't a five-game NLDS. This is not a seven-game NLCS. This is a three-game series. And as we've seen throughout the baseball season, anything can happen on a weekend series. The Dodgers, they were swept by the Pirates earlier in the season. The Pirates, I mean, they're not a playoff team. They're far from it. But those kinds of things can happen when you don't play your best. So the Cardinals, it's just about putting your best foot forward at this point and seeing what they come up with. So that's kind of what I look at for the lineup. Once again, I'm thinking Donovan, Newt Bar-Goldschmidt, Arenado, Dickerson, even though it wouldn't be my choice. I think that's what they'll go with, at least against right-handed pitching. And I wouldn't be surprised to see DeYoung snuck in there against lefties if it comes to that on Sunday. Albert batting sixth. Dylan Carlson, the switch hitter. I think he's your center fielder every game. There's no question about that. He's going to be batting seventh. Probably Yachty batting eighth. You could see Andrew Kisner catch Miles Michaelis. I don't think that's impossible. And evidently from the way Ollie was talking at Bush today, it sounded like, and I wasn't there, but it sounded like um, sort of a, a contention that, yeah, Andrew Kisner, like we've got two catchers and our, both our catchers are going to get an opportunity. So maybe we, we've seen him as kind of Michaelis's personal catcher for the majority of uh, recent weeks. So that could be Andrew Kisner's game on Saturday. Would be very interested to see Kiz, whether he gets that opportunity in the starting lineup on Saturday and, and what he does with it. And then Tommy Evan batting ninth. I like him as the guy that can sort of turn the lineup over there from the bottom. So to me, that's what the lineup is probably going to look like. We know who the starting pitchers are going to be. Maybe some questions about what the bullpen is going to look like. We know some things. We know Dakota Hudson and Jojo Romero won't be on that list because they were optioned out on Wednesday. They need to be down for 15 days before they can return. More than likely, both of their seasons are probably over in terms of pitching with the big league roster. You know you've got five starters. Jose Quintana, Miles Michaelis. They're putting Wainwright, Flaherty, and Jordan Montgomery. Took me a minute. On their active roster for this three-game series because it's all hands on deck. It doesn't matter if they're in a starting capacity or not. All five of them could end up pitching in this weekend series. That would certainly be possible, and it wouldn't surprise me. Then you start thinking about your obvious names in the bullpen. Work your way backward. Helsley. Gallegos, Palante, I would have to assume Andre Palante is in there. Recognize that maybe his numbers haven't been as good recently. And I know, again, it's all about performance, but it would be, to me, not the right choice to leave Palante off. So I'm, But again, like every year it seems like there is one of those surprises that where you go, oh, maybe didn't see that one coming. Uh, Palante had a rough outing beginning of September, had a couple of outings over the last few weeks where he's given up runs. Seems to be giving up base hits in most of his outings as well. Just base runners. It was kind of an issue for him. More constant traffic than maybe he had been used to. 5.91 ERA since September 1st. Uh, to me, he'd still be in there. He's got good numbers as well. If you look at Andre Pallante's splits for the season, even though he is a right-handed pitcher, it's interesting that you see sort of a a reverse split situation developed for him as the season went along. 619 OPS against lefties, or I should say left-handed batters against him, had a 619 OPS, 805 OPS against righties, uh, despite being a right-handed pitcher. So that's a little bit troubling. I mean, I wouldn't want Andre Pallante seeing those numbers necessarily to be facing righties, and so maybe the Cardinals say, well, he's a righty, and if we think we've got better options in our bullpen to get lefties out, Maybe Andre Pallante doesn't make this roster, but that would be a little bit of a surprise to me given how important he was to the Cardinals throughout the season. But I'm looking at the five starters. I'm looking at Helsley, Gallegos, uh, Jordan Hicks. If he's 
good to go after the neck fatigue situation. I think the Cardinals, as long as he's healthy, they'll want him on that roster. So he's eight. I'll go to the left side first before guaranteeing the Palante spot as I'm counting through this because we know this. 14 position players, 12 pitchers is the way the breakdown is going to be. That's what the Cardinals have settled on. We just don't know the exact fill-in details. You will, obviously, probably by the time you listen to this, so I don't have to ponder on this too long, but for my own benefit here, we know Steven Matz will be in there from the left side, and it's been said that Packy Naughton will make this roster as well. So now we're up to nine pitchers. And the reason for Naughton being on there, by the way, is just his performance against lefties. I think lefties had like a 160 or 170 batting average against him this season. We can remember some pretty prominent situations where Naughton was able to get lefties out in key situations. So I feel like that's going to be a role that he he's probably going to get some opportunities against a, a Kyle Schwarber or a Bryce Harper late in a game uh, over this weekend. I wouldn't be surprised to see that if the Cardinals need to turn to uh, a lefty, because again, every time those guys come up, I feel like you've got to have a lefty ready for them, and then you you just plan it the best that you can. Three batter minimum is a little tricky, but you got to cycle around that, and you don't let Harper or Schwarber face a right-handed pitcher if you can help it late in the game. After the starter's out, it's got to be a lefty that faces both those guys because they're just too good against right-handed pitching. Zach Thompson, the other lefty that's going to be on the roster Absolutely should be the case. Zach Thompson's sort of gotten the runaround a little bit this year when it's come to roster decisions, and we know that he's gone back to the minors, and he's come back, and they've sort of been inconsistent with the chances that he's gotten. But 2.08 ERA in the majors this season with St. Louis in 22 games, 34.2 innings pitched. Yeah, I mean, Zach Thompson should absolutely be on that wild card game roster, or I should say wild card series roster. And uh, it sounds like he's going to be. So where are we at now? Quintana, Michaelis, Flaherty, Wainwright, Montgomery, Helsley, Gallegos. And then I went to the left side. Steven Matz, he'll be probably the first lefty out of the bullpen, I would say, even above Thompson, even above Naughton. And that gets you to 10. Hicks going to be in there 11. Is Palante the 12th? That would mean no Chris Stratton. We know no Genesis Cabrera already. I feel like it's going to have to probably be Palante, and there's your answer. The thing with Stratton is, and his numbers I think below three ERA, I believe, since the trade with Pittsburgh that brought him to St. Louis. But think about the situations where Stratton's been in games. It's usually been sort of in that mop-up role, right? Whether they're up four, down four. You need somebody to finish those games and pitch the innings. So, yes, he's pitched well. Have the Cardinals demonstrated a willingness to to pitch him in key situations? No. And think about this as a Cardinals fan. You're looking at the games unfolding. It's tense. There's a lot going on. Every pitch means a, a, a whole lot. What are the situations and circumstances where you look at those games this weekend and go, yeah, that's the Chris Stratton spot where he's going to come into a game. It's not usually going to come to mind for that to be a one-run game, a two-run game, up or down. You're going to have other options, I think, for that. And so over the course of a three-game series, I don't necessarily think Stratton is as necessary for the role that he fills. If it's a five-gamer or even a seven-gamer, I could see having somebody like Stratton uh, to, like, if you're up by four and your starter didn't get through five innings, you might need somebody to finish off the fifth and throw the sixth because that four-run game is not completely out of reach yet. But you're not going to go to Gallegos or Helsley or even necessarily Palante in those spots. So I feel like in a short series, it's a little different. But in a longer series, you may see Stratton again. We'll see. 
Uh, Jake Woodford, another guy that would, would obviously be left off in this case. I feel like Palante, Woodford, and Stratton are kind of who this comes down to, honestly. Um, I don't think you need any additional lefties beyond that. But if they view Palante as sort of a de facto lefty rather than maybe the seventh inning man that he had been pretty consistently, then I could see a situation where they might say, well, we're already set on lefties. We've got Mats, we've got Thompson, we've got Naughton, and Montgomery can be a lefty that comes in and doesn't have to be a starter, right? Like on another day, he could he could pitch an inning. He could face Bryce Harper. I, I don't know that they're totally closed off to the idea of using those pitchers, even though they're typically starters, as relievers. So I'd be very curious to see the way that breaks down. But yeah, for me, like it comes down to Palante, Woodford, or Stratton. I would lean Palante. I could see the argument to be made for Woodford uh, because he did honestly pitch pretty well this year, but it's just a case of do they trust him in the key situations? Kind of a, a Stratton question. But you look at the numbers, 2.23 ERA. Honestly, I Woodford might be the choice that I would make, but I just can't fathom leaving Palante off. So that's what's tricky. And like you could say, well, what's Adam Wainwright's role exactly going to be? Like, is it going to be that he's going to start game three? I can't imagine that would be the case. If he's healthy enough to be on the roster, he's going to be on the roster. They wouldn't leave him off. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit dicey there, right? Like there would have certainly been a point in time this season where the expectation would have been Adam Wainwright, game one starter in a wild card series like we're seeing now, but he just hasn't been good down the stretch. You look at the month of September, including and I'll include the October 2nd final start of the year for him as well in that. Not good number, 7.22 ERA starting September 1. So is there a situation where you feel comfortable with Wainwright coming into pitch this weekend? Maybe there's not. I would, I would probably still find a way to... I don't know. It's tough. I could see starting him Sunday. I really could. And it's one of those where like the, the leash is so short. If it's not working, you go to the next guy, you go to Montgomery or you go to Jack Flaherty. I wouldn't be totally uncomfortable with it, but I, I, I can't pretend like I know what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to do that, but he's obviously going to be on the roster, right? Just to be an option in that regard. I think that would end up having to be the case. So we'll see. We'll know, obviously, by the time, uh, this is really for my own benefit, because by the time you guys listen to this, hopefully you're able to get it Friday morning. I will make sure to tweet it out so that people are getting to hear it before game one, hopefully. But uh, this is mostly just, you'll get to hear the ramblings of a madman at this point uh, when you all know the information that I do not yet know to be certain about. The bench situation when it comes to the Cardinals playoff roster, we mentioned Gorman's going to be on there. No Burleson. Paul DeYoung, Ben Deluzio seem likely to be on the roster. I love that Ben Deluzio is on there. That's really the only notable name because everybody else seems kind of obvious. Like Yepes is going to be in there. I may be forgetting something, but it's just, it's the usual suspects. Kisner as well is part of that. I don't think there's going to be any huge surprises as far as the bench is concerned because a lot of those uh, pieces of information have already been delivered, like the fact that Gorman would be on there instead of and Alec Burleson from the left side. So it's going to probably kind of look like that and, and be what you expect. I guess I can talk this through. Gorman, DeYoung, Deluzio, Kisner, Yepes, I think are the five. And that gets you to 14 because Donovan will be at second base, Albert DHing, Dickerson in left field. Yeah, so I think that's an Edmund at, at shortstop in that scenario. So yeah, I think those are your five. Maybe not a lot of surprises there other than the ones that we already know about. But Deluzio is interesting to me and obvious, especially in the absence of Tyler O'Neill, 
because Deluzio can run. That can be a late-game pinch hitter, or not pinch hitter, pinch runner. Uh, he can be a late-game defensive substitution as well. You put him in there uh, in center field for probably Dylan, and Dylan's shifting to left instead of Corey Dickerson. That could be the way you go. You could put Deluzio right into left field, whatever you want to do. I think having that as kind of your hands team in the outfield, Deluzio, Newt Bar, Carlson is, is probably the best defensive outfielder they can come up with if they don't have Tyler O'Neill, which, again, he's got the hamstring injury. He's not progressed enough within that recovery, so he's not going to be on this roster is the expectation. I like that Deluzio's on there. I don't know that it's going to be that he plays a major role. Hopefully he does, though. Hopefully he plays in all the games that that uh, the Cardinals play because that means that they're probably holding a lead in the eighth, ninth inning, and they're saying, let's bring this guy in uh, for a defensive substitution and see if we can't win that way. That's an advantage the Cardinals are going to have as well over the Phillies who don't play great defense. They sort of uh, have tried to improve that aspect of the roster as the season has gone along, but I still think the Cardinals, with all the gold gloves that they got last year, you can expect probably a bunch more gold gloves this year. I guess I want to run through and think about what that's going to look like. Goldie should win one. Tommy Edmonds should win one, whether it's the utility award or specifically at second or short, but Rawlings put together the new utility gold glove that's going to be a thing this year. Edmonds should, without a question, take that down. Uh, you look at the defensive run save numbers. He's he's at the top of the list of a lot of those categories. So he should win one this year. Arenado obviously should win one. And that may end up being it. Arenado, Tommy Edmonds. Goldschmidt, probably not Yachty, didn't really play enough. Numbers have declined. Um, Dylan Carlson, maybe hasn't quite played enough. Like Harrison Bader is on the Yankees now, so that's kind of a tough one. I guess he doesn't get to win it. He probably missed too much time anyway because of the injury that he had. So maybe a decline in in the number of gold gloves for the Cardinals this season, but I, I still think they should probably end up with three across the infield. And Tyler O'Neill obviously is the two-time defending gold glover in left. Hasn't maybe played enough. He's been on the injured list like three, four different times this year. So that it might be attrition and the injury factor that keeps the Cardinals from having as many as they did. But the bottom line is defensively, they are a very good team. And so I think that's going to be to their benefit, obviously going into the series against Philly, who uh, they kind of had that reputation coming into the year. I know they didn't make a ton of errors throughout the year, but had that reputation as kind of being butchers. And, and and the plays not made can hurt you just as much as the errors sometimes. And the Cardinals, barring a, a Corey Dickerson, that's I've seen it happen on bad routes to balls, they don't have a ton of plays not made. Like if they're in the range to get a ball, they probably are getting it and they're making the play and getting the out. But anyway, there we go. We've talked lineup. We've talked pitching. We've talked bullpen. Kind of narrowed it down to a few guys and decided what that roster is going to look like recognize that the starters, even though they're starters throughout the season, they're going to be relievers and anything they need to be in this three-game series for St. Louis. Guys like Flaherty, guys like Montgomery, guys like Adam Wainwright could end up pitching in those situations. So we're aware of all of that. Uh, there's not a whole lot else to do. I guess I will talk about this uh, interesting story that came out Thursday evening from John Denton, MLB.com, the uh, the new Cardinals beat writer there. He's new for this, uh, this season being his first year. He had a candid conversation, he said, with Albert, Albert Pujols, and, and Pujols told him that he seriously contemplated retirement back in June when he was struggling at the plate. We almost didn't get Albert Pujols get to 700. That was a crazy story to see there as he almost apparently walked away. And John Denton, I guess, made note of the fact that Pujols 
during his retirement ceremony uh, before last Sunday's game, told the crowd there were times he wondered what he was doing playing a 22nd MLB season. Then he asked Albert if that's really how he felt, and Pujols said, no, I did. I swear I did. There were times when I asked myself that many times. And evidently, John Mozeliak knew that Pujols was contemplating that retirement possibility all the way back in June. People were aware of it, and uh, according to John's story, they said they'll speak about it more in detail once the season ends. But as for right now, um, they're not saying a whole lot, but really interesting to think about that. I mean, you look at the numbers for the first half for Albert. They were kind of what we expected them to be coming into the year. Not that good. OPS in the 600s, pushing 700, but then sort of declining back into the 650 range. And that was all before the All-Star game stuff, obviously. I have to go back and look. I'm curious if that was similar to the timeline where Yadier Molina was away from the team because he had that knee injury situation, obviously. I mean, you talk about veterans and the guys that we look at for this Cardinals season and think about it's their final ride. It's it's Wainwright. It's, and again, not necessarily his final ride, but you look at the way things have gone down the stretch for him. Uh, Performance-wise, he, he wouldn't be able to hold up a full season pitching the way that he has throughout September. But Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, their final rides. Interesting to think about the struggles collectively that those guys have had and individually. Um, for the most part, they've been able to, to grin and bear it, make it through. Yadi throughout June, uh, you know, he was he was gone through the latter half of June. Maybe that was around the timeline where Albert was considering these things. Uh, kind of interested to see what more comes out about that and the way it all lined up. But I think Cardinals fans can just be grateful for, uh, yes, acknowledge that it's not wasn't always going to be just a storybook season and picture perfect in every regard for guys who have played so many years and they're fighting father time and and trying to end on their terms. That hasn't always been easy. Certainly for Yachty, there were times this year where that was not easy. Uh, He seems to have come out of that and and has looked pretty good. September Yachty is hopefully parlaying itself into October Yachty. And you can see some, some good things on that front. Albert, there's nothing really to be said. We know how fantastic things have been for him the second half of the season since the all-star break, but just, thought that was kind of interesting perspective, and I'll be curious to see uh, what more maybe gets said about that or comes out about that time period for Albert where uh, he was maybe questioning some things and whether or not he wanted to stick out this season. Cardinals fans, obviously glad that he did. Now they've got a World Series in their sights, but it starts on Friday. Friday afternoon at Bush. Game's on ABC, by the way. That's kind of different. Not something that you typically would uh, would think, but I do believe Game 1 ABC, Game 2 ESPN 2, if I'm not mistaken, so... Um, if you haven't heard that or you were wondering, well, where is the game? How do I find it? That's how. Check out ABC and get that over the air. Grab yourself a digital antenna if you don't have cable, and boom, you're watching Cardinals baseball on Friday afternoon. I'm going to wrap things up here, though, and I'll do it with the, a prediction. We'll obviously talk after Friday's game. Will the Cardinals win game one? I'm going to go with, with the optimistic viewpoint for the Cardinals. I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-1 to one win whether they get zero or one run off of Wheeler, I don't know, but it's going to be that he pitches deep into the game. I'll say he gets through seven, and then the Cardinals are able to scratch off a run or two in the eighth and ninth innings to be able to do it in dramatic fashion. I think for Quintana, I don't know if he quite gets through the sixth, maybe runs into a little bit of trouble there. I'll go five and a third, one run allowed for Quintana. Bullpen backs him up, picks it up, and Ryan Helsley, I guess in the daytime, they won't be able to do the red lighting, but he's coming on for a ninth inning or a tenth inning or whatever the case might end up being, pitching an important spot for the Cardinals. And uh, I'll say it's not a walk-off. They'll get it done by the eighth inning. They'll get those runs that they need so Helsley can at least have his entrance and close it out. I'm going to say a 2-1 winner for the Cardinals on Friday. 
Uh, obviously, if you're listening after that and I was wrong, you can make fun of it. But we'll try to join again Friday night for a podcast that you listen to on Saturday. It's a little bit more timely this week because uh, things are going to start moving fast. But we'll be here on B-Shape Daily to break it all down. So make sure you are subscribed to the show and you don't miss a beat. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.